Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Straw Hut Media. Next City is turning 20. And our journalists are publishing a special 20th anniversary edition of our annual Solutions of the Year magazine, in which we're talking about the solutions we want to see expand in cities over the next 20 years. As part of the celebration, we are re-airing some of the stories that we've covered here on the podcast. Today, the Black Barber, whose work inspired him to launch a credit union to help his clients and his neighbors in Arkansas. Here's that episode. These are customers that had patronized us for years, that were faithful to supporting our business, that were in a moment of distress and they couldn't access funding from their banks. They couldn't access funding from any other source. So they came to who they trusted. This is Lucas Grinley from Next City, a show about change makers and their stories. Truth is, there are solutions to the problems oppressing people in cities. And if you're listening, I hope it's because you want to spread good ideas from one city to the next city. When you are in a pinch and need help financially, who is the first person or resource that you turn to? Maybe a longtime friend or a family member? It would have to be someone you trust, and in return trusts that you're going to repay whatever it is you borrow. In some communities, there are few more trustworthy pillars than the local barber. I felt obligated as just a pillar of the community. Barbers have always been a pillar of the community and the cornerstones of the brick building, holding up the communities, and so felt like I need to hold up my community. Arlo Washington opened his first barbershop 20 years ago. It grew into seven barbershops and his own barber college. Last year, he opened the first credit union in Arkansas since 1996, People Trust Community Federal Credit Union. The Barber to Banker pipeline may not have been what Arlo Washington had in mind, but when his community needed help, he created the financial institutions needed to serve those who were shut out by traditional systems of banking and lending. On this episode of Next City, we'll meet Arlo Washington, but first we need to understand why he had to step in to fill the gap in the first place. In years past, it was normal for six to 700 credit unions to open nationwide every year. But over the last 10 years, only 25 new credit unions have opened. So what's going on? Our senior economic justice correspondent, Oscar Peribello, is here with the origin story and why the lack of credit unions coupled with a ban on payday loans in Arkansas meant Arlo Washington's community needed a barber to become a banker. So we want to talk about the story of the black barber who opened the first credit union in Arkansas since 1996. And this story got a lot of attention online. People were celebrating how awesome this story is. And I just don't know how you even heard about this story. And I don't usually ask that, but I'm really curious. I was talking to somebody about, you know, I just found this crazy number that it used to be 600 or 700 new credit unions every year. And last year it was four. And the year before that it was four. And actually, in the past 10 years, we've only had 25 new credit unions. 
unions. Whereas in 1970, we had 540 something new credit unions in one year. So I was just doing this rant like I'm doing right now. And someone <laughs> said, yeah, you should meet Arlo. We went over to Arlo and like, Arlo, I heard you start chartered the credit union. Tell me, why did you do this? And uh, his quick answer was, well, we were trying to give folks loans, you know, for the, to, to, to buy a used car, or to fix up their roof, or to cover some unforeseen medical expense. And some of the people we were trying to get loans to, they didn't have a bank account. We were giving out loans on Cash App and Venmo and PayPal. It's ridiculous. And they couldn't get a bank account. No one would give them a bank account. So we said, you know what? Screw it. We're going to start a credit union. We'll give you a bank account when we give you a loan. So that's wow. how that conversation started. In 2010, the state of Arkansas instituted a ban on payday lenders. So the last payday lending storefront in Arkansas across the whole state shut its doors in 2010. And people still needed emergency loans. They still needed access to capital every now and then because of, you know, who knows what happened. Car crash, someone gets sick. Tornado blows the roof off your house and, you know, you get some emergency help from the government, but you still need a little bit of cash. So now the payday lenders who usually come into that situation and, and charge people, you know, 300, 400% interest on those loans. Now they're all shut down across the state. And so where do folks start to go? They go, they go to the one place that ever gave them a loan besides the payday lender. They went to the barber college. They said, Arlo, can you help us out? This had happened to him before when he was a barber. You know, folks would just, you know, need, need a couple hundred dollars here and there, need a hundred bucks to buy a suit to go to a job interview. I'm getting my haircut, got the interview tomorrow. Can you help me out? Barber gives him a hundred bucks to buy a suit. Maybe he gives him a free haircut and then they pay him back later when they get the job. And Arlo, being the community-minded person that he is, Arlo says, uh, all right, let me figure this out. So they start setting aside $1,000 in profits from the Barber College every month to just start making loans. And that evolves into a revolving loan fund that got certified in 2018. This is a nonprofit entity that's just, you know, just raising cash. You know, the Barber College is basically donating money to the revolving loan fund. And then the pandemic hits. So they were setting up the technology before the pandemic, and then the pandemic hits, and now everybody's getting a loan online, including businesses. And so Arlo's original entity, People Trust Community Loan Fund, is now making paycheck protection loans during the pandemic. They made over 1,000 of these loans, and they earned $4 million in fees from those loans. And... Arlo says when they got the $4 million in fees, they loaned out $3 million already. And with the last million or million and a half, they bought a building and they chartered the credit union. It's amazing. This idea that it would become a credit union, that's not exactly crazy that that would happen because credit unions have a history of serving disinvested communities. Um, can you explain the context there? Prior to 1970, the federal government would charter six to 700 new credit unions every year. Credit unions generally seen as a, as a strategy for reaching workers, communities, people who larger financial institutions don't have any interest in serving for different reasons. It could be racism. It could be they're too poor. It could be they're immigrants. We don't know them. They don't know us. They don't trust us. 
So it was often, prior to 1970, these were credit unions that were starting up in underserved rural areas, underserved neighborhoods and cities, black credit unions, Hispanic, all kinds of immigrants serving credit unions. And no one wanted to, to give them a bank account or a place to save their money. And so credit unions formed as that. This isn't necessarily true throughout the whole history of credit unions, but a credit union today is very similar to a bank in that you can get a checking account there. You can get your direct deposit to that checking account. You can get most of the standard loans, personal loans, car loans. Credit unions generally cover all of those things. Throughout history, because they're not for profit, because they don't have to necessarily be as big as a bank to, to stay in business, they've been easier to start throughout history. Again, until these past 40, 50-ish years, credit unions have been a very popular way for underserved communities to create their own access to the banking system. It's the way for local ownership in the banking system. And for different reasons that I'm starting to learn about, it's just become so rare for anyone to start a new credit union. Coming up, Arlo Washington joins us to share more about the first credit union founded in Arkansas in over 26 years. Stay tuned to hear how a ban on payday loans brought attention to the unmet needs in his community. Next City is not your average news organization. As a nonprofit, we leverage donations, grants, and sponsorships to provide a hub for solutions to the challenges and opportunities shaping cities worldwide. We hope to help you discover the future of our communities with thought-provoking articles, in-depth research, and engaging content like this podcast. We rely on the support of listeners like you. You are our dedicated community who continues providing not only support, but also the inspiration for all of this valuable content that drives positive change. If you believe in our mission and want to contribute to the future of cities, we invite you to make a donation today. Your support will help us expand our coverage, conduct more in-depth research, and foster meaningful discussions. Join us in reimagining an equitable future. Visit nextcity.org slash donate to make a contribution. Together, we can spread good ideas from one city to the next city. Welcome back. We're joined by barber-turned-banker Arlo Washington. A 2009 ban on payday lenders in Arkansas aimed to curb predatory lending left many in need. Arlo stepped in to make sure the community didn't go without. My name is Arlo Washington. I'm the founder and president of People Trust Community Loan Fund, which is a nonprofit CDFI, Community Development Financial Institution, as well as the CEO and founder of People Trust Community Federal Credit Union, which chartered September 14th, 2022. So two organizations here, two financial institutions, two totally separate entities, but I founded both of them. Well, congratulations on launching People Trust Community Federal Credit Union. Let's see. Huge deal on its own. I know it was a long time coming. I want to ask, I guess, how did you first start lending people money? Do you remember the first time that it happened? Absolutely. People Trust Community Loan Fund emerged out of an unmet credit need. Of course, Arkansas is one of the only states that's a blackout state where we have no payday lenders in the state. The law came about in 2009 when it was prohibited. Uh, and so all the, there were 200,000 Arkansans utilizing these payday lenders. And it was a... It was, uh, 134 brick and mortar 
payday lenders. So they all moved out of the state by the end of 2009, which left a, a huge gap in access to capital and access to credit in uh, in lower and moderate income and in all the interior counties in the state. So we emerged out of that. You know, I have a I have a barber college, uh, which is um, an anchor institution, anchor business in the community. And the folks in the community start coming and asking for some assistance. We are a uh, Title IV school, post-secondary institution, so we provide Pell grants and student loans. And we had a sign on the side of the building that said, financial aid is available to those who qualify, which is a standard Department of Education saying for Title IV schools. And so the community members thought that that was some financial assistance that they would be able to access. And so they started coming and asking for, for loans. We also were providing financial ed- education for our students that attended the school because of course, we didn't want them to have a default on their student loans. So we have to provide interest counseling to them, explain the rates, explain the terms, connect them with their loan servicers and go through that process. And so we noticed that a lot of the students were just signing the documents, but didn't understand what they were getting into. And so we wanted to take a deeper dive into providing access to financial education and literacy so that the barbers that graduate our program would be able to be sustainable, profitable, and scalable with their with their new business. And so we then saw a need for wraparound services like childcare. They needed uh, food and sometimes shelter for out-of-state students and so and transportation as well. So we started providing them with small dollar loans. Uh, and I provide these loans right out of my pocket and out of profits from the barber school. We would lend out $1,000 a month, uh, so make about five loans a month. And then we would pick it back up the next month. And that way we were able to uh, provide loans, create some tangible outcomes because folks that didn't have credit now had a credit score. We were reporting these loans to the three major credit bureaus. That was back in 2009, eight, nine. And, and then in 2014, we started really, really tracking it because we heard about the CDFI fund and there was a program. So we said, well, we should see if we would qualify to participate because we're providing the services and our missions look like they align. So let's see what we need to do to become a certified CDFI and, 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 and go ahead and just really blow up our, our program. And so that's what we started doing in 2014. We started really you know, tracking everything on Excel spreadsheet. We used an Excel spreadsheet to track, track everything. And then in 2016, we became a certified CDFI and uh, the rest has been history. We've been doing um, Quite a bit. We were supported by uh, a technical assistance grant from the CDFI fund to help us to build capacity. And then also and we were um, awarded a grant through the Winthrop Rockefeller Foundation. And we basically took the grant dollars and purchased online software so that we'd be able to serve our target market and became an online lender to be able to provide a better option for our community members that would go normally go to a payday lender or drive to a border state to access a loan. And all of that started because you had a sign on the door that said that financial aid was available. Is that right? And yeah, I mean, well, you know, these are customers that had patronized us for years, that were faithful to supporting our business, that were in a moment of distress and they couldn't access funding from their banks. They couldn't access funding from any other source. So they came to who they trusted. They came to us and they said, hey, Mr. Washington, you know, I, I'm, I'm on hard times right now. Can I borrow, you know, $150 into my payday? And they've been faithful customers. So I said, well, yeah, you know, I make them a loan. Give people an A until they get themselves an F. Just make them a loan. 
And next thing you know, he brought his wife back. He came back, paid the loan back. And then he brought his wife with him and then she wanted to get a loan. Of course, I just made him a loan. He paid it back. So now he's, you know, he's good reference. So it just grew from there, word of mouth. And then of course, the students that we were providing small dollar loans to to help their credit scores so that when they would get out of the program to be able to go and access a loan and start their barbershops, you know, it all made sense. I felt obligated as just a pillar of the community. Barbers have always been a pillar of the community and the cornerstones of the brick building, holding up the communities. And so felt like I need to hold up our community. I knew how hard it was for me as an entrepreneur to access capital. Uh, when I first started my barbershop, my first business back in 2000, you know, I had to use some, some non-traditional uh, means to be able to access capital, be able to start my business because I didn't have credit. I didn't have a relationship with a bank. So I was in, enrolled in, a, in, in college and I, I had some proceeds, a credit balance check from my student loan. And I can remember walking down the sidewalk saying, man, you know, I need to do something with this so that I can support myself while I'm pursuing an edu my education. And, and uh, the first thing come to mind was, you know, I should use this and start a barbershop. And that's exactly what I did. I started using it to start a barbershop. And um, that shop, first shop grew to nine operators. A year later, we I, I got another barbershop. That shop grew to, it had 11 operators. It was already existing business that we basically took over, acquired. And, and then so that, at one point, we had 27 operators that leveraged that to the barber school. And then, you know, then the loan fund and now the credit union. Still got all that stuff running. Still have a barber shop, still have a barber college, still have the, the loan fund is still going strong and still also have the, uh, uh, we have the credit union now as well. So when you were a student, you used some of your student loan money to start a barbershop because you were like, I need to do something while I have this money. You had a chance. Absolutely. I didn't grow up in uh, with a silver spoon in my mouth. I was, uh, you know, we grew up low-income housing project, uh, single mom. Uh, I, I understand the struggle. And so that is what I was feeling. I'm like, okay, this is all I have to my name. And I had my two younger sisters. My mother had passed away two weeks before my graduation. And so I'm lots of pressure on me to be able to make something of my life to be able to support my two younger sisters. Today, there are more than 4,300 community banks across the country, but there are only 20 Black-owned banks. That's an incredibly low number. And if it wasn't obvious why they're important, the pandemic made it abundantly clear. In previous episodes of Next City, we've covered the barriers minority small business owners encountered when trying to secure PPP loans. PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program, helped save thousands of businesses from closure. But when Arlo Washington tried to connect his community with those funds, he hit roadblock after roadblock. Solving that problem is what led him to start a credit union. Most of the folks, the students, as well as the people that we serve, a lot of them are unbanked or underbanked. And so us being a loan fund and providing loans, they had to have a checking account. Well, most of the folks that we serve have alternative um, online banks, which uh, your Chime, your NetSpin, or your Green Dots. And those accounts are not acceptable when you go to a traditional financial institution to be able to access a loan. And so we would always run into barriers where they weren't able to access the proceeds from the loan that we made 
because of the the, the, the checking. Everything has to tender at a bank. And so that was just a huge deal. And we wanted to be able to bank more unbanked folks and uh, provide them with a, a, a way to get to uh, more mainstream finance. That's where the whole idea came from for us to charter the credit union. And we saw a lot with the PPP program. We were a non-bank lender with the PPP program. And a lot of our small businesses, they only use it a bank for, you know, cash a check or get a deposit or do a withdrawal, but not really utilizing the services that the, that the bank offers. And so whenever PPP came and they went to go to the bank, they didn't have a relationship with the banker. So, or they didn't, they didn't understand the, a lot of the complexities in the application process. So they weren't able to access the program. A lot of their applications were getting held up at the banks and they would have to stop the PPP process at the bank, come to us, and then we would process their PPP application. And whenever we processed the PPP application, it would deposit into that bank. Well, because the bank didn't want, I don't know what happened, but the bank would reversed, would send the money back to us and close the account for the business owner. And so whenever they, you know, because we were non-bank lenders, so a lot of the banks didn't know anything about non-bank lenders. And so it was like, well, hey, well, where's these funds? So they would close the account, which put the business owner in a bad space for them to be able to pay their employees or keep their, their doors open. And so that happened more times than once. So we had to get a lot of small business owners that we served during PPP, which we deployed 50 million in PPP loans to 2,600 small businesses, you know, that was a problem. So after that, we said, you know what, we need to be able to provide a holistic relationship to our community members and small business owners so that they, any, 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 anything that happens, any crisis that happens in, in the future, whatever, we're able to accommodate them and support them in the way that they need. You know, it makes me wonder, and maybe you've wondered about this, but what would happen if you weren't there? during PPP or to give out those small loans? Oh man. Oh man. It, it, I mean, I, if I think about it, I mean, it just break my heart because a lot of small businesses had to close. When you think about the the wealth gap in America and you think about the longstanding issues as far as being able to be familiar with how banks work or, you know, how the federal programs work, it's like you're dealing with the Flintstones and the Jetsons. And when you're talking about low and moderate income communities, which are predominantly black and brown communities, it's like the Flintstones. So I don't understand. There's a huge cultural difference there that every banker's need to be made aware of so that when you're dealing with this population, uh, you can break it down to where they understand and can digest a lot of the information that they receive in order to access capital and access credit. So if it wasn't for us being here, I mean, it would have been a, a nightmare for a lot of, we were a lifeline. By now, you might be wondering how Arlo Washington has figured this all out. He started a loan fund, launched a credit union when almost no one else is doing it. After the break, we'll ask what the secret is to understanding how to do all this. This episode of Next City is based on a story we first reported on nextcity.org. If you want journalism that centers marginalized voices, If you want to ensure solutions to the problems that oppressed people in cities don't get overlooked, then subscribe to Next City's daily newsletters. Thousands of city planners, designers, placemakers, and urbanists like you read Next City every day. Together, we learn what's new and different in driving solutions in cities. Next City believes change is happening and makes it our job to find it. Signing up for our newsletters is the best way to stay informed on the issues that matter. 
To subscribe now, head to nextcity.org slash newsletter and enter your email address. That's nextcity.org slash newsletter. Welcome back to Next City. We're talking with a trailblazer, Arlo Washington, who once upon a time used his student loan money to open a barber shop, then another barber shop, then a barber college. And when payday lenders were banned, out of his barber college evolved a loan fund to help his community. Then the pandemic hit. And when people needed bank accounts in order to receive federal aid, he decided someone needed to open a credit union. I'm sure people are wondering, how is it that Arlo Washington understands how things work? Like, did he go to school for finance or something that he became a banker? Like, how did this even happen that you are the person who is figuring out how to create a revolving loan fund and launch a credit union that hasn't been done in decades? You know, they say experience is the best teacher. One, it's a lived experience for me. I grew up not really being able to have access to a lot of the resources that you need to be able to have financial well-being and things of that nature. So whenever I started my business 20 years ago, I learned the hard way. I've been in every financial hardship that you can imagine early on for a lack of knowledge, you know. And so I've had to figure it out all my life, basically. So whenever we started providing loans and learning about the CDFI fund and and loans and how to make a revolving loan fund sustainable, profitable, and then scalable. That took a lot of late nights of research reading. I didn't go to college, a four-year institution, but for a brief period of time. When I started my business, my business took off and I've been an entrepreneur ever since. And having to learn point of sales and being a post-secondary institution, you know, being part of a regulatory environment for a number of years, almost 15 years now uh, with the barber school, we get audited every year. All of that and all the complexities of the Department of Education and the, the accrediting and the compliance that you have to do to stay stay in good standing kind of conditioned me to be able to take on the task of navigating the credit union process and having the patience and the endurance and the discipline to do the research and gain an understanding. Yeah, I want to ask you about that because there hasn't been a credit union opened in Arkansas since 1996 until you just did it. So, you know, there are unbanked people all over the country in different situations, more and even in Arkansas. So what do you think people need to know about the process of launching a credit union? Why do you think that there hasn't been one opened since 1996? Well, again, you go back to the wealth gap and you look at the privilege and the struggle. And then you look at a lot of the reasons why there has not been another credit union. I, the only thing I can think of is the unbanked or the communities that we serve, they got comfortable with and avoided the responsibility, I should say, you know, a lot of times of being a financial institution and creating a space for financial transactions to take place that's within the community. It's very complex. It takes a lot of um, time. It takes a lot of patience. We've had several crises, financial crises, to you know, the Great Depression, 2008 financial crisis, COVID-19. And so the recovery efforts for low and moderate income communities, you know, you're relying on, on banks, you're relying on the federal government. And then you have the folks in the community that have the credit need that a lot of the 
entities don't understand the credit need. And so it would have to emerge out of a community. So I think that uh, most people think it takes a lot of money. But, you know, I have a saying, if you take care of the pennies, the dollars will take care of themselves. So if you if you start a little bit and and then you think about loan sharks and payday lenders and you look at the payday lender, uh, how they prey on low and moderate income communities and you just say, OK, well, how is the payday lender is not a bank, but they're making loans. You know, so if they can make loans and, you know, we should be able to make loans. And these are small loans. So we work with what we had. We only had you know, in a budget, a thousand dollars a month. So that's five loans at $250. Now there was a lot of learning throughout that process because how do you, how do you make that impact? How do you create impact on a $250 loan? How do you create impact? How do you create a tangible outcome? And then you look at the fact that there's a credit desert, that credit desert credit is really the most powerful thing that, separates the the community from the financial system. And so no matter the size of the loan, if the credit scores improve, then then we would be able to build the capacity of the community members and they'd be able to access more mainstream finance. And so the main thing was the credit that that we needed to be able to uh, provide, of course. And through partnership, by becoming a CDFI, we have partnerships with the uh, uh, Credit Builders Alliance which is a uh, trade association, CDFI member association we became a member of, and we were able to report credit to those, uh, to the credit bureaus through that agency. And so, you know, that, I think that's just the whole concept as far as when you say, well, you know, why hadn't anybody done it? They just thought it probably took having a bank. I need to have millions and millions of dollars to be able to help the community. I would like to do it, but, you know, I don't have the money. And then, the capacity, when you think about how do you actually, uh, you know, the lending aspect of it. So becoming a CDFI first was very instrumental in our understanding of the financial services industry. I mean, there are plenty of people unbanked. There are credit deserts all over. What do you wish that people who were, you know, working in the banking system or financial system understood better about the communities that you're serving? it would be the wealth gap and understand that there's a big difference in my understanding and your understanding for folks that are more affluent folks that are upper and middle income, you know, there's a privilege, right. That we experience because of the opportunities that we could create with money, with credit, their nature. Whereas if I'm low and moderate, you know, there's a struggle to pay your bills. There's a struggle to, access capital and credit and you think about generational poverty. So I wish that more bankers that were on the ground level that are on the front lines, because those are the most critical people that are on the front lines. And when the people walk in that don't have an understanding of your products and your services or your don't understand your language, then have some patience, understand that the difference, the cultural difference, and the lack of understanding. And so there just needs to be some uh, empathy there for your borrowers, for your community, uh, whenever they enter your, your branch. And then work with your tellers, work with your hosts and your representatives so that they're not just doing a job, but they understand their role and access to the financial system for your community. 
Have you heard from any of those people who you may have given or lent one hundred and fifty or two hundred fifty dollars? So you keep in touch with them at all? Oh yeah, yeah. They've uh, they've actually utilized our program, you know, several times and uh, gone on to do different things. Uh, uh, we were some of those folks uh, were business owners that uh, needed a loan. We've kept a lot of business owners from getting merchant cash advances because you know making getting away from the daily daily payments. So uh, a lot of them have came back and. Uh, Matter of fact, I was at an event. Uh, they had a Black Expo event, and uh, I was on a panel. And somebody got up on stage and mentioned about the the credit union. And a lady walked up from the audience and said, "I mean, she she walked up as I was walking out. She walked up to me and and thanked me and told me that you know we helped her uh, when she was at a crisis point in her life, and she just wanted to come up and say hello and tell me thank you. I felt really good. It made me warm my heart. Made me feel good that that we we're helping able to make a difference." You know, this is the thing, inspire before you expire. You know, I want to be an inspiration, and hopefully it will stir somebody in another community to be able to uh, create something as well. We've made loans all the way from New York to L.A., and uh, we would like to be able to branch out and have, you know, locations in low and moderate income communities across the country. You know, there are a lot of old bank buildings in low income communities that are abandoned. If we could get those buildings, put some boots on the ground there, and open up our lending, then we can start building the capacity of those communities as well. So we're looking to partner and collaborate with other community groups that that would like to do something like this and uh, help them get started. Because we need more financial institutions in the low-income communities, low and moderate-income communities, which are predominantly black and brown communities. There needs to be some financial institutions that are in those neighborhoods and understand the cultural difference and can uh, meet their community members where they are in the process of building their financial well-being. The National Credit Union Administration, which is the federal agency that charters, regulates, and insures deposits held at U.S. credit unions, counts 507 minority-designated credit unions today. Of those, 244 have a majority Black membership. We asked Oscar Periobello, our senior economic justice correspondent, what to make of all of this. Is that the lesson to take away from the story? Is that it's still possible? I mean, people are definitely excited that this happened and someone would care about their community so much and step up and do this. But I mean, should we be listening to the story thinking, oh, maybe I'll start my own revolving loan fund? I mean, what is the lesson to take away from this? So he started with revolving loan funds and then became a credit union. Yeah, definitely part of the lesson is, you know, what is it like to go through that process now? Because it is a it is a process. Um, chartering our credit union, you know, the, the federal regulators, the agencies, uh, in the credit union's case, it's a national credit union administration. They charter, regulate, and provide deposit insurance for all credit unions in the country. There's about 5,000 credit unions. To get a credit union charter, you know, you have to have a, a business plan with three years of projections, a marketing plan, and it can be very intimidating and very scary because you're, you're going for a whole credit union charter. Um, which you know gives you permission to accept deposits and to make loans. That's a process of going through the board members. And you know, Arlo mentioned there were a couple of different initial candidates. They had to swap out and they had to find folks that they, they trusted that that they could bring in that could meet the, the standards of the of, of the regulators. And that process is very tedious. I've actually covered it in the past few years of groups starting out that process and then never getting through it. The good news is the NCUA has made some changes 
to that process. And Arlo's story is one of the results of that of the changes. You know, they, they, they've gotten more staffing and a better strategy at the NCUA for working with new credit unions or potential new credit unions. Um, Arlo had wonderful things to say about the NCUA staff that worked with him, answering his phone calls late at night, um, jumping on phone calls with him when he was on vacation just to make sure that everything looked right and to answer all the questions by the time they knew the answers to those questions. And it took about a year, but he got through it and um, got a credit union charter. Some of the other folks I've talked to about this topic so far, there's this sort of chicken and egg phenomenon. You know, Arlo had nobody to talk to about what it was like to go through this process. Now, he'll be one of the featured speakers later this year at a credit union conference in Memphis. And so there will be others there who could talk to him, who maybe they haven't gone through the process yet. But, you know, Memphis being a city that's faced tremendous disinvestment and racism and segregation over the years, now there'll be plenty of folks who can go straight to Arlo when he's there in Memphis. And maybe they can go down to Little Rock and visit him, you know, over the next couple of years and actually talk to somebody who's been through that process of charting their credit union because it's so rare now. Today's story is featured in our Solutions of the Year magazine. This 80-page print magazine is available to anyone who donates to Next City. Get your copy by visiting nextcity.org slash 20th Solutions. That's nextcity.org slash 20th Solutions. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Next City, a show about changemakers and their stories. Together, we can spread good ideas from one city to the next city. Thank you for listening this week. Thank you to Arlo Washington, founder of People Trust Community Loan Fund and the People Trust Community Federal Credit Union. If you're interested in learning more about Black-owned banks and why they're critical, keep watch for an upcoming episode about the first Black-owned bank to open in 20 years. Our audio producer is Silvana Alcala. Our scriptwriter is Chris Reeves Andrews. Our show producer is Maggie Bowles. Our executive producer is Ryan Tillotson. And I'm Lucas Grinley, executive director of Next City. By the way, Next City is a news organization with a nonprofit model. If you like what we're doing here, please consider pitching in to support our work. Visit nextcity.org membership to make a donation. We'd love to hear any feedback from our listeners. Please feel free to email us at info at And if you haven't already, subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, Good Pods, or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.